Clinton County to Clinton Hill, from St. Lawrence Seaway to St. Lawrence Avenue. It's 5 p.m. in the five boroughs and across the 62 counties, and so it's time for Max and Murphy, your interview and call-in show about the policies, politics, and people of New York City and New York State. I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Jarrett, good to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's beautiful outside. It feels like spring. It is spring. It's lovely. Uh, I'm excited. We are, uh, it seems like we're crossing a lot of milestones here. You know, we got to um, the public advocate special election. Now we got to state budget coming through, uh, you know, some big milestones in the political calendar, some less expected than others. Uh, Obviously, there was a chain of events leading to that public advocate special election. And now that election, of course, leads to a special election for city council in Brooklyn with Jamani Williams becoming public advocate. But now we've crossed this threshold of the state budget coming through and we'll we'll take some time on the outcomes there uh, early on in the show today. Yes, and I think that uh, we're also going to be looking at what is happening in Albany after the budget, uh, as we'll be discussing some very interesting things left on the table. And one thing that we always knew was going to be left on the table is the important issue of rent regulations, those that affect uh, millions of people here in the city and in some other urban areas in New York State. Uh, uh, frequent topic of debate in the city and every few years a debate in Albany over whether and how to renew those laws. That comes up now. And we're going to have on Frank Ricci from the Rent Stabilization Association, which represents landlords in that system, and Michael McKee from Tenants Pack, which has been a longtime voice for tenants in that system, talking about the prospects for reform, um, what is welcomed or not welcomed by either side, and what the prospects are given the political landscape in Albany and what we learn about that landscape from the budget process that just concluded. Yeah, I'm fascinated. I'm excited for today's discussion to have those two guests on to really dig into these issues of rent regulations that are going to be maybe along with marijuana legalization, the, the two most discussed most heated negotiations of the state legislative session, which basically goes from post-budget to mid-late June. Um, They got a lot done in the budget, which we'll get to momentarily, um, but they certainly never, as you said, really uh, planned or looked at doing rent regulations in the budget. They expire later this year, so they need to deal with them before the end of legislative session, and it's clear that they're going to. It really just depends on what the rent regulation reforms look like. And I'm, I'm excited to hear from our two guests today, the landlord lobby, the tenant lobby. Let's hear what they have to say about what they're hoping for from from Albany, especially under this new democratic regime there, which you know has had a, a lot of uh, what they would call successes early on this year in Albany, including through the state budget, but also to some extent not as much as some people on the left expected and that might mean some interesting things for these rent regulations. Definitely and it goes right to some of the themes that we've talked about this year which is that Governor Cuomo previously in his administration uh, tenant advocates would say that he has not done as much as he could for them that the rent regulation renewals under him have been um, if anything lackluster in some cases damaging to their cause Um, he would say that that's not true and he points to a long record of, of accomplishments uh, for tenant rights, but on the core issues of the regulations themselves, that's long been a criticism of of Governor Cuomo. And of course, now the dynamic is different. He does not have a Republican Senate to worry about. That was always a bulwark of support for landlords and for people who resisted strengthening rent regulations or deepening them. Uh, and it's an interesting test this year, too, and we'll talk to our guests about this, because... It, 
to this point, the rent regulation has been discussed in the context of where it exists now, which is New York City and a few other, as I mentioned, large urban areas in the city. One of the elements of the campaign that Cynthia Nixon ran last year against Andrew Cuomo, unsuccessful in beating him, but successful at putting some issues on the table, was about universal rent control, they said, universal rent regulation is what they meant, uh, which is extending rent regulation beyond the properties and the geographies where it exists now. And that's sort of the far-reaching goal that the tenant movement would like to like to approach. There obviously are other steps they want to see, too, in terms of fixing regulations in their mind um, as they stand now. But that's an interesting test for, for this new progressive wave of government in Albany, which, as you said, has delivered um, some stuff, but not up to the very high expectations that were set in some A cases. lot. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I think now we're almost at a point because there was a lot of folks a little disgruntled about the budget deal that came through. And we'll go over some of the highlights of that momentarily. But, you know, because there was some frustration with the degree to which the progressive agenda has moved through, now we're almost swinging to the direction of not really, I guess, uh, sort of understanding or fully appreciating how much has gotten done. And so, um, you know, all you have to do, I guess, is listen to the Republican side to get a feel for actually what the Democrats have really done uh, in Albany. And uh, let so let's pause the rent regulation conversation until we get to our guest. But the other one last thing I'll say on that is not only was it the Cynthia Nixon campaign, right, but a variety of these folks that won races against former members of the Independent Democratic Conference in state Senate primaries, as well as a couple of general elections, rent laws were right at the forefront because we know that real estate interests had donated heavily and helped prop up the IDC. Uh, And so that was forefront for a number of those challenges. And also even Julia Salazar in Brooklyn, who took out a sitting senator who wasn't part of the IDC, but was at least seen as too uh, close to real estate. If you want to weigh in on our budget conversation, which we're going to have for the next uh, 15 to 20 minutes or so, call in 212-209-2877 is the number. As we're going to discuss, there's a lot to talk about. And I think the point you make up about perspective is very important. Uh, I think that a year ago, a budget that accomplished what this budget has would have been kind of a wild, a wild dream. I think you know it has to be one of the more consequential budgets, certainly at the time that I've been covering politics in New York State. Uh, and I think that um, even knowing the very real limitations on cohesion within the Democratic caucus, on the limits of state power, on the ever mysterious idea of what Andrew Cuomo really wants out of life. Three months ago, I would have said that this was a pretty darn good budget compared to expectations. Right. And I would say it's important for us and everyone else to not forget a whole bunch of stuff got done even before the budget. Right. LLC reform and and several other steps. Reproductive health, voting rights, uh, gun control. I mean, a a bunch of things. The DREAM Act, uh, which now got some funding in the budget, which was an outstanding question. So, you know, there's people who are upset. A lot of folks on the left were frustrated with some of the outcomes in the budget, including levels of education funding that are going to localities, the the Democrats' hesitancy to raise income taxes. Um, You know, it's funny because because Republican reaction to the budget has been, look at all these new taxes and fees. And on the far left, folks are saying, why aren't there more taxes and fees uh, in the budget? So it's, you know, politics is endlessly fascinating. And again, you know, Governor Cuomo 
governs from the center left and continues to do that. And he continues to be the dominant force in state politics. He is the governor. Um, But, you know, I think it has been a little bit interesting that the legislature hasn't pushed him um, a bit more. So let's talk about some budget highlights. Uh, It's a hundred seventy five point five billion dollar state budget. The fiscal year started on Monday as the budget bills were being voted through legislators. Doesn't matter. Republicans, Democrats, whoever's in charge in Albany, the best you're going to do for an on-time budget is people voting on bills they don't really know the full language that's in them, and that's what happened yet again. And the governor's willing to use these messages of necessity to to allow that, and and legislators are are willing to go along with that. And that's a that's a whole problem that's uh, better left for another time. But. They got the budget done more or less on time, voting through the night on Sunday night. State fiscal year began Monday, $175.5 billion budget, Um, along with, you know, just sort of the spending decisions, which, again, there was an increase in education aid, not as much as some people wanted. There were some interesting both fiscal and non-fiscal policies in there. What what stood out to you? I mean, congestion pricing, one has to say, uh, given the fact that that's Albany is where it died 10 or 10 11 years, years ago, ago, 10 years ago, uh, given the fact that, um, you know, New York is becoming now the first state or New York City would become the first city to impose it, uh, potentially paving the way for other cities. Uh, that is a landmark. Uh, and I think that um, the fact that there was some tension about it as the process went on from sort of looking like a pretty close to sure thing to looking a little doubtful to coming to the end illustrated this was not an easy lift even with the transit crisis just because um, driving is is seen as an American right and people don't want to institute uh, distortions to that system and there's a question of where the money would go uh, and some of those questions frankly are still out there they'll be answered by this commission that the budget empowers to really dial up the details on how the pricing will work, what the price will be, whether it will vary with congestion, what some of the carve-outs might be. A lot of that remains to be decided. But that said, it's a pretty historic thing to have congestion pricing. And, and that, that's, a, that's, a big, that's a big, big uh, exclamation point on this budget. So for folks who haven't been following that closely, what you just said is really important, both that congestion pricing got passed, but this other piece that there's going to be a new sort of commission within the MTA that's going to determine the final look of congestion pricing, what the tolls are, when they work, uh, how much, different times a day, week, you know, they might, they might do. We don't even know, but they can't even, they can't institute anything until 2021. Right. And these decisions are being put off basically to protect elected officials through the next legislative elections in November 2020, which is another process and political meets policy problem here that's really unfortunate. I mean, this should be moving quicker. Mm -hmm. If If it's the right policy, it should be moving quicker not too quickly. Obviously, you got to get a lot of things right. You got to purchase equipment and set it up all around the city. That's going to be complicated. But they made a very political decision on the timing. And I think just in true, I think yeah. it's a foolish political decision because I think you do not take it off the table. Right. It's still going to be used it, in the election. Even more so. You could you could have it on the table in the sense that people are going to run against incumbents saying, hey, you voted for congestion pricing and it stinks. Now you can have people running against incumbents saying, hey, you voted for congestion pricing and I can make up how bad it's going to stink because we we haven't seen it actually in operation yet. Uh, it's, right, um, you, do, you did it and you didn't even have the guts to set the to tolls set the or toll, whatever. Right. I mean, there's right. all sorts of, it, it is problematic politically for several elected officials 
who had concerns and, you know, we'll see how it plays out, but it's really not a great way to do things uh, just from a procedural, you know, governance point of view, but not to totally overshadow the fact that congestion pricing is on track to happen. One of the one of the problems with that kind of timeline is you give elected officials the opportunity to undo something they've done before it's implemented, and that can be a problem. Um, but huge takeaway from the budget. One of the things I'd highlight right up there with it is is the criminal justice reforms. They, you know, these don't really have much of a fiscal impact, but they were able to come to a compromise on policy issues that are going to seemingly have an immense impact on the state, especially New York City. Uh, Bail reform, pretty sweeping, still some things to tinker with or criticize or whatever, but, you know, they're estimating 80 to 90 percent, I believe, of folks arrested are now not going to be locked up because they can't afford cash bail. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The carve out being for right now, they will end. It will end cash bail for misdemeanors and nonviolent felonies. And to my mind, this is a way of bypassing what was becoming a very uncomfortable conversation about dangerousness. Yes, the idea that if you're going to remove the ability of judges to impose cash bail, you would need to give them what in some states does exist, which is the ability to lock people up not because of fear of flight, but because of the fear that they would cause some harm if they were released before trial. Trying to figure out how you measure that risk, it gets into ideas about predicting behavior, uh, something the DAs were insisting on, something obviously a lot of legislatures were uncomfortable about codifying. This is a way of sort of getting at that kind of standard without putting it into as many words by saying, if you're charged with a violent felony, judge still has the right, although not the obligation, to impose um, cash bail. And I would say that interesting, as well as the bail provision within that same section, is the idea that police officers will under a lot of circumstances, be allowed not to arrest people and encouraged, required not to arrest people for misdemeanors and class E felonies and instead to give desk appearance tickets. That will keep a lot of people from coming into the system in the first place where bail would even be on the table. And all this fits into, as you mentioned, so many different policy arenas, including the closed Rikers movement, which depends on reducing the number of people in Rikers, the vast majority of whom are there awaiting trial. Yeah. I mean, you know, leaving cash bail in place for, for those offenses, you know, leaves leaves some uh, certainly some questions still left on the table. But go, as Governor Cuomo said, you know, we'll take him at his word on this. You know, he said, this is where we could get to an agreement. There were a lot of concerns about other elements. So we decided to take this, take this very large percentage of offenses that people often get locked up for because they can't afford to free themselves on bail. Um, and, and then we'll move forward with the discussion and perhaps continue to look at it. That's where I get skeptical. I think what they passed in the budget is probably going to be around for, for quite some time, but we'll see. Um, and we should mention, though, that it also came with discovery reforms that, again, seem like they're going to be very impactful on legal proceedings and speedy trial reforms, which I I don't know how strong those are going to impact the pace which with people are supposed to rightfully have their cases move through the, the system. Yeah, because what I don't know about that, and, and maybe you do, or maybe a caller does, is whether they put resources into the budget to allow courts to have the capacity to process trials faster, because that's it is a resource question, not just a, a question of code. Right. I'm not sure about that. We'd have to take another look at that. But that package of criminal justice reforms is certainly an immense change. 
change. So we've got just a few more minutes before we dig into the rent regulation conversation with our guests. Other highlights from the state budget. They agreed, (laughs) coming back to this kicking the can down the road, but they agreed in principle to a public campaign financing system, allocated some money towards it, but Again, kicking it to a commission to figure out the details. There was a lot of consternation, especially among Assembly Democrats, about moving to a public campaign finance system in the mold of what New York City has, although there's people who have problems with that, so they wanted some different tweaks. And then when you apply some of these principles statewide, it raised some other questions. Governor Cuomo has said, you know, things like, do you give the same matching funds to people operating in very different media markets? Reasonable question. Very reasonable question. But again, we, you know, this, these issues have been around a while and Democrats have been supporting them. You know, the, the, the idea that they have to come to this agreement to then set up a commission to figure it out is questionable. It's their job to figure it out. And this but. weird binding aspect of it where this commission which has not been named yet will have until December 1st of this year to devise this system and then whatever they say will become the system unless the legislature overturns it within 20 days it's a strange kind of automated system so this is what they did with the pay raises that became very controversial and you know there's a chance again that this is going to be this coming December a very controversial situation where this commission comes out with its binding recommendations with the only out clause being the legislature has to go back to Albany for a special session to override it. So most likely, again, might go the other way, but most likely this commission's findings and set of rules on campaign financing will go into effect and will have some sort of change to the state's campaign finance system. But there's a lot of questions to be worked out with that. Are they? What are they going to do about New York's sky high donation limits? Uh, are there are they going to lower those limits for people who participate in the public system and not or maybe they'd have different limits what's the public match look like etc cetera, etc cetera. there are all sorts of ways that this one could get derailed but that's the outline of the plan we'll see what happens um i mentioned funding in the budget f- to institute the dream act that's mm-hmm. significant even though it's not a, a ton of money uh there's also money in the budget to support early voting which they had passed earlier in the year which is very important to send that money to counties to administer early voting and we're obviously coming up on june primaries pretty quickly so uh that'll be very interesting and then they passed electronic poll books in the budget and put funding for those and basically you know that was necessary so you can implement something like early voting where people are coming over various days and you you have to update the voter rolls and you don't want people with those huge reams of paper trying to figure everything out so a couple couple other interesting things there what else one interesting trajectory during the run-up to the budget was the brief consideration of a pit to tear tax um, that would go into the same pile of money as congestion pricing trying to uh, uh, boost the fortunes of the MTA, this was also a response to, you know, the phenomenon of people, wealthy people from out of town buying second and third homes in the city, what that did to the local real estate market, um, the fact that they weren't seen as contributing as much to the city's taxes. Um, That conversation kind of rose up uh, fiercely and then disappeared pretty quickly. And what was passed instead was uh, basically a a, a new tax at point of purchase for high-end real estate, which will, you know, not uh, be a year-to-year tax on pied-a-terres and will, I guess, avoid some of the implementation issues around identifying those properties but and, and generate some millions of dollars each year, um, but obviously is a, 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 different, a different approach. That actually seemed to me like a much 
more preferable system because this is not, you know, so dependent on the high, the very, very high end market of second and third homes. It's not, as some said, you know, that easy, I think, to game uh, the a new system where you could, you know, the people who buy these homes could then just send, you know, send a relative <laughs> to live in them uh, or something. You know, this is very interesting. This is something that Mayor de Blasio has called a mansion tax and wanted for years and basically was shot down. And then all of a sudden the state really needed some new revenue revenue sources and all of a sudden he he got his tax on uh, on high end real estate transactions which aren't even in New York's market aren't even quite that high end I mean I think it kicks in at transactions of two million dollars or more and and many many homes can go for that um, in New York City so that and congestion pricing the 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 revenues there are both supposed to be dedicated to the MTA which we will have to get into another time in terms of all the the ins and outs of how the MTA will be funded moving forward. And that's a fascinating part of the state budget is they're instituting some new planned revenue raisers, but it's not necessarily for the state general fund. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some interesting stuff there. They also did that with the internet sales tax, which uh, money raised by that is supposed to go towards the MTA as well through the state and the city. Um, So there's a lot more to what was put together in state budget, some interesting health care policy the property tax cap was made permanent which applies everywhere outside new york city um that property tax conversation about new york city is going to heat up uh, and that'll be something interesting to watch but why don't we leave the state budget takeaways there and move mm-hmm. into the post session which as i said earlier will most likely there, there'll be a lot of issues on the table but the marijuana two, marijuana legalization being exa- one of them exactly yeah, yeah, yeah the two big ones will be marijuana legalization and then our topic for the rest of the show today